Hey, welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and to trust Him more. To keep up with us or to get more information, visit CelebrationChurchLive.com. Well, um, if you've got your Bible app open, if you grabbed a bulletin, however it is you're going to track with us with our notes for the teaching today, that we're in the fourth part of a series um, where we're looking at the, the simple things that are pivotal in our relationship with God. And we we're just looking at the simple matters because they matter. In fact, we've let off with this idea every week that the matters that matter in our relationship with God are very simple, but never simplistic, just never simplistic, but they're simple enough uh, for a child to be able to engage with them. But just because a child can begin to connect with them doesn't mean that they're childish. It means it requires a childlike nature to begin to really live those things out. Let's look at how Jesus began to define really growing and being great in the kingdom. Matthew chapter 18, verse 2 says, And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You'll never begin to live on kingdom principles, the kingdom way. You'll never see the way heaven wants to function. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. The greatest in the realm where the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords reigns is if we will simply engage with it like a child. And today, the teaching of Jesus that we're going to look at, the incredible, powerful truth that we're going to unpack right now, um, is one that um, if you've been around church for any length of time, you're familiar with. And here is the thing is we sadly, as much as you and I know it, we don't quote it and reference it as much as we probably should because it feels like that it belongs in a conversation with a kindergartner, uh, maybe a first or second grader. And it feels like it belongs there when they're not behaving very good, like when you're having to remind them how to respond and how to be right. And for some reason, it just feels like that's where it goes. And when we, almost when we hear this scripture, we almost hear it with like a kindergarten teacher's voice. When really, this is one of the most earth-shattering truths for you and I to begin to participate and walk in. It's got a nickname, you know it, as the golden rule. Um, and so, but we're gonna look at why uh, it is the place where we need to learn to engage with on a deeper level. And the truth is, it's, we know it, and it's, the truth is it's written in our hearts because God loves us so much that he hardwired us to connect with each other in a life-giving way. This is so important. This is so vital, so pivotal to us doing life together that he did not trust it to it being handed down and taught along the way. He went ahead and pre-wired it in our hearts. Every human that's ever began to engage with another human has this truth already written in their hearts. But then they don't only think about Jesus, God, religion, any of that. It is already 
in that space. It's already written there. And as we look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 9, um, Jesus begins to kind of lay the groundwork for the truth that we already get this. Matthew 7, verse 9 says, Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? None of you, if your kid is hungry, is just going to hand him something inedible. You're not going to do it. Or if he asks for a fish, it's going to give him a snake. And actually, he's taking it up a level, and it's like, okay, the stone was useless, but now the snake is dangerous. He's like, you're not going to do that. You're not going to give your kids something useless or, or dangerous when they're in a place of need, when they're in a place of needing nourishment. He said, okay, that you already have this baseline. He says, if you then, who are evil, and he's just referencing the truth, that you and I do things that don't represent heaven at all to one another on a pretty regular basis. We look at our culture, we look at our homes, we look at a lot of things, and we see things that don't, do not represent heaven at all. That represent the place of pain and hurt and selfishness. It says, you who do that all the time, you know how to give good gifts to your children. When you decide you want to be good, when you decide you want to be a blessing, you know how to do it. Nobody had to teach you. Nobody had to teach you how to do that. It is something that's already alive in your heart. And then he points out how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him. If you and I can give good gifts here and there, don't you think our Heavenly Father, we can go to him with anything and he's going to point us in the direction of good? He's going to give us good gifts? Of course. But then, sorry, my mic, I'm going to have to order a new one, but we got to get through today. So I may act weird or something. And so that's it. <laughs> I'm going to take a weird pose. But um, he says, uh, so then, this so is in reference to everything he's already said. He's already laid the groundwork that, yeah, we can be messed up to one another, but we know how to be good to one another too. And yes, our Heavenly Father's the best at it. But since you and I know how to give good gifts, when we bend our hearts in that direction, he said, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. If you decide to kind of do like a little deeper study on this little passage of scripture and to look at that word others, um, that word others is the Greek word of anthropos, okay? Which makes sure, the scriptures made sure that it did not reflect that it could have any sort of gender, any sort of nationality, any sort of thing. If it is a human, this is how you interact with humans. Take, uh, throughout all time, throughout all cultures, throughout all traditions, this is how you interact with humans. And the truth is, as Paul points out this underlying truth that all this stuff is hardwired into us and points it out in Romans chapter 2, Verse 14, he says, Indeed, when Gentiles, which means people who are not Jews, aren't raised in an understanding of the God of the Bible, um, who do not have the law, 
do by nature things required by the law. They don't even have it, and they're living it out. So why? He says, because they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts. It's already pre-wired. It's already in there. You don't get to say, I didn't know I was supposed to be kind. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. You knew you were supposed to be kind because you want people to be kind to you. You want people to be gentle with you, patient with you, loving with you. That's what you want. You understand this. You get this. You know how this is supposed to go. So they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences, also bearing witness, and their thoughts sometimes accusing them. When you weren't quite right with somebody, when you didn't quite treat somebody right, your thoughts are like, that wasn't right. That wasn't cool. You shouldn't have done that. But then other times, when you were, when you did treat someone the way you would want to be treated, then at other times, they're defending you. Your thoughts are going, your conscience is going, no, you, you did that right. I don't know why they're upset, but you, you handled that just right. That's the way you would have wanted to be treated, and, and you're good here. Points out that this stuff is pre-written in our hearts, and it's so important. It is so important that it, we already intuitively understand it. It was pretty important that you breathe. So guess what? Respiration hardwired in us. It's pretty important that your, your heart pump and circulate some blood. It's hardwired in us. All of the stuff that is required for life and being able to, to procreate, all of it, it is hardwired in us. The ability to interact with one another in a life-giving way is hardwired in us. It's that important. It's already there. I love the way that the message translation puts this. It says, here is a simple rule of thumb guide for behavior. Ask yourself, what would you want people to do for you? Then grab the initiative and do it for them. Add up God's law and prophets, and this is what you get. Everything that's ever been required of us can be summed up in that in that do unto others as you would have them do it unto you. Now, here's the thing. Jesus isn't given any new information. This isn't like all of a sudden, this is this mind-blowing truth. It's pre-wired in our hearts. Anybody who's ever taken a little moment to think out some relational ethics can come up with this. What Jesus is doing, he's not giving us new information. He is revealing to us how we begin to actually live this out. Not vacillating between the place of our consciousness accusing us and our consciences defending us, not having the inner turmoil, not constantly breaking our homes and breaking these, but begin to live in a place. And it is this place where he invites us to use our empathetic imagination. He's inviting us into a place of empathy to begin to think about what is this other person going through? What is this other person? How are they responding? And how are things going? Because the truth is, is that if we'll begin to think just a moment of what's going on in somebody else's life, we might 
begin to respond a little better to people. You know, you go out to, uh, go out to eat, go to a restaurant, go on to grab something quick. You're in a rush. That's why you're in a fast food place. It's, you're in a rush. Things go a little slow, and then you get up to the counter, and it is not Chick-fil-A. They are not smiling. They're not being kind. They're not wishing you to, a, a good day. They're not doing all that. Um, although I, we did experience one Chick-fil-A thing in, here in Texas that it's like they missed all the corporate training. They missed all of it. I was like, I don't even know what restaurant I'm in. I literally, half, halfway, we joked about it in the car that, that we wonder if we came upon a robbery and like the real Chick-fil-A employees were tied up in the back and like everybody we interacted with was, were like the robbers and they put on the stuff because they were just so rude. You like you almost heard a muffled "Have a nice day" from the person in the back who just couldn't let us have a bad experience. Like it was just like, what was wrong there? That was just a. It was just that was not a Chick Fil A experience. And but you know you go to a non Chick Fil A and you rush in and the person on the other side of the counter um, is rude, acts annoyed you're there, and all of a sudden there's something just rises up in you um, and you would just want to like call him to some attention like hey a smile would be good you know hey you know you do realize money's got to come in for your paycheck not to bounce right you know there's you know you, you want to point some stuff out but if you just use a little empathetic imagination you just begin to think I wonder if they're short-shifted I wonder if there's not enough people. I wonder if it's chaos back there. I wonder if the manager has just been barking at them like crazy. Man, I wonder if they got some of the worst news of their life, but their finances are on such a paper-thin margin, they had to come to work. They couldn't miss the shift. And they're just doing their best to get through this shift. I wonder if that was me, if I was having to be on the other side of that counter, if I was having to do this, how would I want people to respond to me? And all of a sudden, just a little bit of empathetic imagination begins to just change the thought. All of a sudden, you begin to put that, and actually, you feel your offense dissipate. It just melted. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not even offended anymore. It's not like I'm trying to be nice. I'm like being nice because what they might be going through, begin to respond to people in a way that you, if you were on the other side of that interaction, you would want to be responded to. The golden rule, what's a golden rule conversation look like? Just, just shooting the breeze with a friend. Well, it might look like parking the phone, listening intently, being engaged, because you would want someone, if you were having a conversation, you were sharing a story, you were sharing something you thought was funny, you'd want them to listen to you, begin to change things around. What does, what does golden rule driving look like? We don't see a lot of examples of it in San Angelo, but let's, let's imagine. Let's imagine. Nobody shake your finger at me. Hey, I'm working on this too. Well, what would it look like? 
What does a golden rule argument look like? You're having to hash some stuff out. What does that look like? Does it look like maybe not bringing up the past and throwing something you feel like you got a little leverage into something that has nothing to do with where you're going to dinner? And all of a sudden just bringing something, something random up? Does it look like not belittling the person's intelligence? Having just a golden rule argument. What does that begin to look like? What does it begin to look like to be a golden rule neighbor? What does that look like? Got to see an example of it years ago. And Cutie and I were living in the married housing at ASU. It doesn't even exist anymore. Um, we obviously ruined it so bad they just knocked it over. But uh, the centennial is there now. And so, but uh, it doesn't even exist. And so, but Keenan was, uh, was a baby and I was a colicky baby um, and screamed at 2, 3, 4 o'clock in the morning. Um, well, we didn't realize that particular, those particular tones carried through the walls very well. Um, we didn't necessarily hear our neighbors' conversations all the time, but man, they could hear Keenan going at it. And our neighbor on the other side of the wall, um, we went to church with them. They were part of our college group at the same time. And, um, and so, and here they are trying to sleep, and little baby Keenan Clark is screaming at the top of his lungs and waking them up. And they could have knocked on the wall, um, yelled. Um, they could have like, you know, you know, shamed us at church the next morning, you know, you know, sorry, we're dragging in here. We were up all night long. And so they didn't do any of that. Um, what they would do is they would just lay their hand on the wall and begin to pray for Kenan. And they just begin to pray for him. And they're initially, you know, praying for him to shut up, you know. <laughs> you know, that's what they're praying for. And so they're praying for him, but then it would shift and they pray for him for his future, Pray for his ministry. Pray for the, the, the life that God had called him into. And, you know, and they, you know, would not sh- shaming way, but, you know, let us know, you know, that, hey, you know, we, you know, prayed for Keenan last night. <laughs> Thank you. So we eventually moved him to the living room. So he wouldn't hear that anymore. And uh, so they then moved away and didn't really hear anything from them for a long time. A few decades later, uh, Pastor Keenan's asked to preach a camp in Colorado. Preaches a camp, lives are impacted, people are just have an understanding of the grace and the love of God shifted forever. One young teenage girl goes back home and begins to tell about this wild, crazy preacher from, from Texas that just helped her understand the gospel in a way she had never understood it. Said, yeah, this Keenan Clark from Texas. And, and he's like, Keenan Clark, what? Te- where Texas? So they pull up his Instagram and it's San Angelo, Texas. He's like, I know that kid. I know him. I know his parents. We used to pray for him in the middle of the night when he was screaming his head off. Little did they know. He didn't know. That his golden rule response, his compassionate, empathetic response, that he was praying for the calling and the destiny on that young man, not knowing that a child that wasn't even conceived yet would one day, their own child, would go to camp 
and be inspired in their relationship with God. They had no idea they were sowing into their own daughter's life whenever they were doing, having a golden rule moment, praying for a screaming kid in the middle of the night. I'm telling you, if we'll just begin to live this space out, it begins to change everything. See, living like this enables us to be a part of an on earth as it is in heaven moment, but enables us to be a part of it. It enables us. We, we so want, we want to see God bring heaven to earth, absolutely, but we've got to be a part of it. It's part of the prayer we're taught to pray. Lord, on earth as it is in heaven, but there's a space where we're called to begin to make decisions that align that direction. I've always got projects going around, always doing stuff, and, and um, years ago, I got my, my first power saw that had a laser guide on it. It is a power tool with a laser. You just want to, oh, 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 and just grunt and spit and stuff. It's just awesome. And so I have my tools cutting and working at the house. I'll put in a long Saturday working, uh, tired, got cleaned up, get to bed, and lay down in bed. And right as I'm about to go to sleep, I just remember my saw is in the backyard. And I knew there was a little chance of rain. And I prayed, Lord, please protect my saw. <laughs> as I was laying there in bed and and the Holy Spirit just spoke so gently to me, just spoke so gently to me. It says, I do what you can't do, not what you won't do. And I got up out of bed, and I went, and I got my saw, and I brought it back in to the house, and guess what? My saw was protected. And so, and there's that space where there are things that we want to see better. We want to see shifted. We want, see, but there are places where God's called us. No one, no one can begin to respond the golden rule in your life but you. No one can begin to treat someone the way you want to be treated but you. You're the only one that can, can insert that into this place. And, and the truth is, it's just doing good. It was one of the definitions of Jesus. When Peter is explaining Jesus to the Gentile believers in Cornelius' house here in Acts chapter 10, verse 38, says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power and how he went around doing good. How he went around doing good. Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We love that. We want to see that God's a healer. There are miracles all the time, we, and, we, and we have a miracle work in God, and we'll never let off the gas on that. But what if we focused on that space of Jesus went around doing good? How much money do you need in your pocket to treat others the way you would like to be treated? How much education do you need? How much influence do you need? Is there any resource that's missing from the average person's life to be able to just begin to treat others the way we would like to be treated? How would I like to be responded to in this situation? The situation therein, how would I want that? You have everything you need to begin to 
begin to follow in the footsteps of Jesus and go about doing good. We continue in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. It says, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter into it, but small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. For some reason, when we're reading this at verse 13, we immediately change subjects and go verse 13 and 14 are about going to heaven. Verse 12, yes, it's about how you interact with it. And all of a sudden, Jesus is just throwing out random little weird facts and just throwing stuff out that are disconnected. No, I can show you. I can show you in your Bible how that is definitely not talking about going to heaven. Then it's not only a few are going to find and enter into heaven. Let's look at Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, just so we can seal that up, that it is not talking about heaven right here. Revelation 7 verse 9 says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. There is a sea of people that nobody can count in heaven. That is not, that is not this narrow little barely anybody finds a group. What on earth is Jesus talking about in verse 13 and 14, if he's not talking about entering through the narrow gate, which Jesus, another parable, he says he is the way, he is the gate, I get that. But that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about what he's been talking about, how we treat one another, how we begin to engage with one another. Here's, here's the amazing truth. Praise God. Jesus made a way where lots of people from earth can go to heaven, but there are not a lot of people on heaven, I mean in, on earth, who will bring heaven to earth. Jesus made a way for lots of us to go there, but there's not a lot of us that'll bring there here. There'll be not a lot of people because the way is narrow. How narrow is it? The way is so narrow, it's defined by what you would want done for you in that situation. It's not lots of different options. That's broad, it's just like, yeah, whatever. Somebody can be happy and then somebody, no, 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 the, the way is narrow. How would you want to be treated in this way? And that says that's where the life is. And broad is the way that leads to destruction. We see this. We see this. People just not, not choosing to treat one another the way they would want to be treated, treated. That's the broad way. Just do whatever. It leads to destruction. That's why we're seeing destruction in our homes. We're seeing destruction in our communities. We're seeing destruction all over the place because everybody just says, no, just do whatever. Just do whatever. Sure, whatever. It's Broadway, and it leads to destruction. The path to life all of a sudden begins with, how would I want to be treated in this scenario? It's narrow, and it leads to life. You want to see life increased in your home? Begin to live this out, and you'll see the level of life go up in your home. You want your, your marriage to get better? Treat your spouse the way you would want to be treated. 
It'll go up. You don't, the, the result is destruction. The result is destruction. You never see two people who live out the golden rule breaking up. It just doesn't happen. It just doesn't happen. But when you sit there and go, no, I've got my reasons, I've got my wounds, I've got all this different stuff, and we don't use empathetic imagination on one another. Here's the problem. is the people we know the best, we feel like we understand the best. Like, I don't have to have empathetic imagination. I know what you're thinking. And you're a jerk, and I'm done with you. No. It changes whenever we begin to connect with one another in a life-giving way. Luke chapter 6. This is where Jesus is teaching, which he would layer these core teachings in different spaces and bring them in. He's teaching on it here in Luke chapter 6, verse 27. He says, but to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. If anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit it to you? Even sinners love those who love them. How do we begin to live out these big things of, of loving the people that hate us? Caring for and being compassionate with people who are actually stealing from us? How do we begin to live out these, these big directives that Christ has given us that are honestly challenging? As we, says, you back into that space of just treating others the way you would like to be treated, it begins to transform everything. The golden rule is not something we tell kindergartners when they're misbehaving one another. Treat others the way you would like to be treated. No, it is the prime directive, hardwired in your heart, in my heart, in everybody's heart, to be able to bring life in every engagement we have with one another if we'll just come back to that one simple truth. Galatians chapter five, verse 13 says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. This golden rule, it didn't just all of a sudden reduce 10 commandments to one and we, we have this big weighty legal thing happening over us. No, we were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. We're so thankful that God led the way in this. Jesus led the way. When Jesus was dying on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. All of a sudden, he was, began to see from their perspective, and they didn't get it. They couldn't see eternity. They couldn't see what was going on. They didn't have all the information. They were broken on the inside. And he prayed from a different angle. Lord, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Thank you for listening to this message from Celebration Church. You can keep up with all that God is doing here at Celebration by following us on Facebook and Instagram.